Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The volume. It's Boxing with Chris Mannix presented by FanDuel. Football season is underway. Basketball is right around the corner, and there is no better place to get in on that action than FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and easy to use. FanDuel always has exclusive offers when you win you'll get paid fast. FanDuel has a lot of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting, combine multiple bets from the same game in a same-game parlay, and try out the same-game parlay plus. So use the promo code BOXING and download the FanDuel app today to make every moment more during this football season. And get ready, NBA season is right around the corner. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, Kevin Ioli is here. Senior combat sports writer, boxing writer over at Yahoo Sports. He is joining me from Las Vegas, but from I'm sure Kevin is going to be boarding a flight for Dubai soon to check out the Floyd Mayweather Deji showdown. No doubt. Out in the United Arab Emirates. I'll give this to Floyd, Kevin. He was masterful as a businessman during his active years. And he is masterful as a businessman during his retired years. He keeps taking on these no-hopers, making seven figures. I, you know, who knows what to believe and how much right. this. But he's making seven figures and just like getting workouts in and seeing the world. It's, right. it's the greatest retirement story that's ever been written, I think, or at least in boxing. There's a lot of people that said, oh, when Floyd retires, he's going to be broke and he's not going to have any money. Nope. And I'll tell you what, you got to give the man credit. I mean, you know, he's fine. I don't like these fights, of course, uh, but you got to give him credit. He's found a way to make an income, keep his name in the news. And I think that that's going to help him with other things, you know, endorsements and things down the road, business opportunities, because he's just out there uh, so much. And, you know, I mean, this guy that he's fighting lost to Jake Paul. 
I mean, it's not like he's, he's a, actually, if you include exhibitions, he's, I think he's one in three as a boxer. He's the brother of KSI is what he's best known as at this point. And look, if there's a market for it, it's going to be streamed is on KSI known. I mean, KSI is known in the UK for sure. Okay, okay. Uh, He's got an audience there. He's, I mean, he's got a huge social media following. I always think of sure. KSI as a radio station, you know, Probably, but you yeah. know, that's, that's, that's just shows how old I am. Yeah, yeah, you're right. KSI, yeah. But no, but I mean, it's going to be on his own pay per view. He's going to make a lot of money. I'm sure some people will watch it. I'm actually more intrigued to see Tommy Fury on the undercard just to see kind of. You know, as he has a potential opponent for Jake Paul down the line. And does he slap Jake Paul as he said he was going to well, do? Jake wants him to. Like, though, by the way, those two guys, like, they know what they're doing. Like, if Tommy Fury slaps Jake Paul, it's not going to be, like, looking to hurt him. It's going to be looking to build up uh, buzz for a future fight. Well, what he's going to do is he's going to turn around and look, are the cameras pointing at me or everybody 100%. looking? And once he sees that they are, then he will slap. Well, there was a scene, I don't know if you remember this, in Cleveland where they had kind of an interaction in the hallway after yes. Jake's fight. And one member, I think it was of Tommy's team, kind of got serious in the middle of it. And Tommy and Jake were looking at him like, what are you doing? No, 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 no. We need the camera. We need this moment for social media to build up our our fight. They're masters at at that. And uh, I think that'll be uh, behind it. But look, to spin it back to Floyd, good for him. He has no interest in taking a real fight. He has no interest. And why should he? No, nor should he. If you're making seven figures to travel the world and beat up on these you know, first it was a couple of guys over in Japan. Now it's a social media influencer like Deji. He says he's going to be back in February in the UK. He can do this three times a year and clear more than virtually everybody in boxing right. at this point. No, I mean, it's, it's masterful. And, you know, it's amazingly changed because I was around, you know, I, I covered uh, in person 43 of Floyd's 50 fights. And I was around when he was not a draw. And we used to write stories. Floyd Mayweather cannot sell tickets. And that was the truth back in the day and the the change that he made you know he's a genius now I mean and um, you know he's figured out how to make money and that character still works now and there's still people that are into him and and uh, you know I've had people ask me hey do you think you'll fight, give Logan Paul a rematch like who cares <laughs> who cares he um I wonder now that I think of it uh, you're right he he was on a draw early on he had to go to Jersey to fight Gotti to get Gotti's audience to to, to follow him. And I'll tell you this, just a real mm-hmm. quick story. I, I was the first person to talk to him when he changed to the uh, uh, Money May character, and it was in the buffet at Caesars Atlantic City. And I, we're sitting next to the buffet, and the workers were getting ready to open it up, and there's all the ice that they put in the salad bar, and he's eating the ice <laughs> as we're sitting there. And I had a great relationship with him. I had covered him actually in the amateurs in, at the Olympics. Um, and so, you know, we had a good working relationship, and he had been pretty boy Floyd, always easygoing. All of a sudden, when I first asked him a question, he started, you know, with the Money May stuff mm-hmm. and, like, really going off. And I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? And Lee Samuels from Top Rank, the Hall of Fame publicist, was going to have a conniption. I mean, he was sitting off to the side, and he didn't know what Floyd was doing. But it, and then once he finishes the interview, and we talked for about a half an hour, and he's just ripping Gotti up and down, and he looks at me, and he taps me on the leg, and he winks. Look, it, it's definitely a character that he purposefully uh, became, and good for him. He did. I've often wondered, like, could yeah, not, not to say Devin Haney is Floyd, but at some point in the next couple of years, if Devin Haney remains unbeaten and isn't as popular as he'd like to be, because he's kind of similar in the sense he doesn't really draw anywhere, doesn't have a home base, 
you know, maybe Northern California he can get there, maybe Vegas he can get there, but I wonder if he makes a similar heel turn in future years where it's like, fine, beat me. All right, if you want, you know, you can say I'm boring, but you can't beat me. I, I wonder. He's not as talented yep. as Floyd. because but he's Floyd, very good. He's very good. Um, he's more hittable, I think, at this stage than Floyd was. But I can see Devin Haney making a turn like that and making a boatload of money off it down the line. I think the problem for Devin is going to be he loses to Shakur. That's what I think. You know, I'm a big yeah. Shakur fan, and I think as a fighter, I think Shakur is better than he is. I think Devin is awesome, you know, and that's why I like that lightweight division. There's so many good fighters. But I, to your point, Chris, I, I think he could do that, right? Because Devin is a smart kid, right? And look at he's been doing, you know, traveling to all these fights. He's, you know, he was at the DAZN fight. He goes on the broadcast. He talks. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, at the uh, uh, Loma fight just recently, gone on the broadcast. He went in the ring afterwards. Um, and then he released, I don't know if you noticed that he released all those pictures. People were saying how fat he was after Loma. Uh, he got in the ring and he released pictures of him eating ice cream and pizza <laughs> and all these different things, which was clever on his part. But I think he needs more than that. Mm. And if he was a knockout artist, I would say he's okay. But he's not. You know, he doesn't have that kind of pop to really. And if he moves up, which I think everybody agrees, he's got maximum two, maybe one more fight at lightweight, and he's going up. I don't. I think his pop is going to be even less. So as a result, I think he needs to do something like Floyd did. Yeah, I don't think a Shakur fight happens anytime soon. I think it's one more fight at lightweight because you saw him he's before big. the Lomachenko fight. Like he was emaciated, getting down to 135. Like do it for Loma because that's a career-defining fight. But after that, go up to 140 where you can be physically stronger and maybe your power gets a little bit better at a higher weight class I don't know but he's I think he's got a, a big future and I'm curious to see where he goes personality wise uh, moving uh, forward all right we'll get to the next topic in just a second but I have to tell our listeners here about NetSuite 2000 2008 2022 when it comes to the economy those are some scary years dot-com crash housing crash and the roller coaster we're going through right now one thing is certain it's a dangerous time to not know your numbers but over 31,000 businesses have the confidence and clarity they need because they rely on NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need all in one place. So how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer, NetSuite. NetSuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where to save money. That's why 93% of customers say they improved their visibility and control when they upgraded to NetSuite. What are you waiting for? Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash Mannix right now. NetSuite.com slash Mannix. NetSuite.com slash Mannix. So we are in Las Vegas. I'll be at the Top Rank Show on Saturday, headlined by... The latest WBO middleweight champion who will never fight anybody. Uh, Janabek, and I'm not going to try to pronounce his last names. I tried it seven times, and I butchered it. Uh, even Top Rank's not even trying. Like, they're putting in their, their hashtags is Janabek as yeah. his, as his uh, hashtag. He is uh, defending his title uh, this weekend, headlining a show at the Palms. That's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. Um, in 2018, Demetrius Andrade won the WBO version of the middleweight title. He spent three-plus years not getting a significant fight. I'm getting a similar feeling here with Jana Beck. A hard-hitting well, In his southpaw. defense, he's only fought 12 right. pro fights. Correct. But, like, no, no, no. But I'm saying, like, as the WBO middleweight title holder, I don't think anybody's going to fight him. Yeah. He's a hard-hitting southpaw. Right. Like, if Demetrius Andrade, who was a, you know, brash-talking American without a lot of power, 
couldn't get someone at the top of the middleweight division to face him in unification fights, I have a hard time seeing Janabek getting those types but of But I fights. think there's a difference between Andre and, and, and Janabek and adds to what you said, the punching power. You know, uh, and Andre was a guy that fought backwards, mm. right? He's, you know, awkward to fight and he just throws everything off. You know, Janabek's Jenna, uh, not like that. I mean, you know, he's a good boxer, but we'll see how good of a boxer he is, right? He, you know, we know he can punch. Um, you know, some people say he's the hardest puncher in the division already. I, I want to say, let's see who he fights, yeah, right? I, I'm beating, what was it? Uh, Rob Brandt and Hassan and Dom and guys like that. Danny Dick, who did he beat in the last fight? Durgan, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, you're right. He's got to face elite competition, but I don't think he gets it. Like, I don't think anybody's going to line up to fight him. Like, who coming up from 154 is going to be like, that's the title I want. I'm going to fight Jenna. And he's calling out Charlo. Like, you know, Charlo has not fought anybody since he won the, you know, middleweight title. You're not going to see him uh, do that. Charlo, as, as we're, re we're recording this, the WBC's having their convention. They're going to do anything about Jamal Charlo at this point. He's been off for over a year. Right. Like, holding that belt hostage at this point. I don't, I don't understand how that works and, and how there are reporters actually in Acapulco <laughs> who do not call them on these kind of things and, and write about it. Instead of just saying, here's what they ordered, call them on these kind of things, you know, and that, I, I, I try to write that kind of stuff mm. and, and call out and I get caught, you know, ripped for being negative. I wrote a story last week and said, boxing is great. The sport of boxing is great, but the business of boxing sucks. And all these, you suck. know, boxing writers, uh, you know, oh, he's negative. He's this, he's that. And they're pointing to fights between two guys that, that you know, you and I heard of, but the average public has no idea as they are is an example of something good in boxing. And, you know, I think if you want to do something good for boxing, Go to that WBC convention in Acapulco and call them on it and say, what are you going to do about uh, this and force him to fight? But if they have no public pressure from the media, then they're going to do, you know, they're going to just let these kind of things happen. It's just ridiculous. Well, I mean, look, the other example of it is, rank and it's small potatoes, I guess, but ranking Keith Thurman ahead of Virgil Ortiz in the WBC rank. Is, yeah. How do you explain that? Keith Thurman has had, what, one win since the Pacquiao fight? Like, Virgil Ortiz has been active. He's been knocking guys out. He's been increasing his level of competition every single time. How do you have Keith Thurman ahead of Ortiz, if only because you want to have presented as a potential mandatory for Errol Spence? That's laughable. 100%. That's laughable all they're doing. Laughable what they're doing there. Um, so to spin it back to Janet Becky here for a second, like I think he's exceptionally talented. Buddy McGirt and Agus Klamas think he's the – best fighter of this generation like they're talking no. a lot about Jana Beck I I love him I love Buddy tremendous trainer Buddy's a nice awesome. surge as a trainer in recent years Agus is a proven talent evaluator over the years but I'm with you I need to see him against better guys I just don't know who that guy is like Jaime Munguia has been named as his mandatory oh. there is a better chance of you getting in the ring with Jana Beck than Jaime Munguia doing it I mean what Golden Boy is getting away with with Jaime Munguia is unbelievable the <laughs> opponents that like, they are put giving it on him. Fernando Beltran too there a little bit like I mean, it's on both of them that with the Munguia stuff but you know I got to know Fernando Beltran uh in the 90s when Fernando Beltran had you know Eric Morales and and Arce and all those guys and they fought everybody and of course, that a lot to do with the fighter, but I mean, you know, Jaime Munguia now, you know, what, he got turned on for the Golovkin fight. What was it? Seven, 18 and, and 18. Uh, Tom yeah. Loeffler wanted to have him fight Golovkin in 18. So that told me, hey, this guy had some, you know, intestinal fortitude that he's willing to take on Golovkin at such a young age at, at a prime Golovkin at that point. So I don't think it's him. I think it's the people around him saying, we don't believe in him, and he's, we're going to lose our gravy train if we uh, put him in with somebody who can actually fight. And so Oscar and Fernando and whoever else is on the management team, Eric Gomez, um, 
all these people, they just, they find soft touch after soft touch after soft touch, and we're really not getting to see what this guy has. The amazing thing to me is that if he fought Jamal Charlo right now, I'd make him a slight favorite. If he fought Gennady Golovkin right now, I'd make him a slight favorite. I think he's improved that much over the last couple of years. I've, I've had the, the opportunity to call most of his recent fights, and I think his defense is getting a little bit better. His offense is getting exponentially better. He throws six, seven, eight punch combinations every single time. He has a great chin. Like, he's shown that. He rarely has anything coming back. So if you have in one round the guy fires back at you, you know, your defense and, and your offense can also be good because you, you're not worried as much, right? You know, you're in there against Charlo, and you know he can hit. And, he, you know, whatever you think of Charlo, and, and I, I agree there's inherent problems with, uh, with Charlo, but, you know, you know he can hit, yeah. and he's quick, and he's athletic. And so he's going to create, you know, issues in – you know, Jaime's fighting these guys that he's a 20 to one favorite, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. And, you know, the public deserves better. The tel you know, the television deserves better and, and, and he deserves better. And I, I think he has some talent, like the fact, you know, when he beat, um, I was going to say Obacar, who was it that he beat? Gabe Rosado. Uh, no, not Gabe Rosado, the welterweight that he beat, uh, for, for a title, um, um, oh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the slick boxer. Yes, the one that beat Cotto, and I'm yeah. now blanking on all Okay, of we're this. both blanking. Yes. But, who, you know, he, he could fight. He was a good, you know, much smaller, but he moved up to uh, 154, fought. And, and I thought at that point, hey, this kid is, you know, has got something in him. And then he wanted to fight Golovkin right after that. But now, like— Saddam you know, Ali. Saddam Ali. That's there it. There we go. Yeah. The fact that he's so— uh, acquiescent to what his management wants to do tells me, you know, that he's he's willing just to pick up paychecks and not really, you know, I loved what Dimitri Bivol said last week to you in the ring. Mm. It's not about uh, money. It's about legacy. And to me, when I heard that, I just, I, you know, I mean, I felt so good because that's what I've been dying to hear fighters say. And God bless you, Dimitri Bivol, for saying that. I believe him, too. You know, I believe all things being equal, Dimitri Bivol would happily take an Archer Better be a fight over Canelo, even if the I money— agree was not as as substantial so I, I think he's about that legacy so let's talk about Bevel uh for a second coming off the win over um coming off the win in Abu Dhabi this weekend I'm blank Gilberto Ramirez of course uh coming off the win over Zerto uh second straight big win of the year for Dimitri Bevel um first of all what did you think about his performance last weekend I, I thought he looked good. Um, I think. What did I have? A ten to two, I believe I had. I got it right around there. Maybe um, nine three. And I, I just thought Zerto did not fight right. I mean, I was disappointed in Zerto. Like, and, and Zerto's another guy. He had been matched easily almost his whole career. Like his hardest fights were probably Jesse Hart. And Jesse, Jesse Hart's a tough guy, but he's not an elite boxer. And that was Zerto's toughest fight. So now you get up to a guy, a world-class guy, you know, arguably a top 10 pound-for-pound guy, and he was in over his head. And I think he realized that. And, you know, he, Bivol was quicker. Bivol was a better boxer. And I think Bivol was actually the bigger puncher of the mm -hmm. two, right? Bivol wasn't sitting down on his punches because he didn't need to take the risk. But I think if Zerto was firing back at him. But I, I, I was really impressed with, uh, with Bivol. And he, and he shows movement in the ring. He has different combinations. And he's smart. You know, mm -hmm. he, he makes adjustments on the fly. Um, I was really impressed. And I'll tell you what, I love Arthur Betterbiev, but that is a tough fight for Betterbiev. That yeah. is a, I mean, Betterbiev hits you and you're in trouble, but I, good luck hitting Dimitri Bivol with a, a good one too. Bivol has tremendous footwork, tremendous defense, and he does punch hard. Like, he's not 
the knockout artist we thought he was going to be when he was coming up the ranks on HBO, knocking out everybody. Sullivan Barrera was on that hit list early on. But he's not a light puncher by any stretch. If he was, Gilberto Ramirez would have come forward, and he didn't. Uh, he was fighting most of that fight going backwards. And he fought that little crouch because yeah. and I think you know he, he wanted to make himself a di more difficult target because he felt what was coming at him. Yeah, it, look, it, one of the big questions we had coming in was what was Gilberto Ramirez really made of? He was 5-0 and at light heavyweight, but he had faced C-level competition at best. At You'd best. probably say Uneski Gonzalez might have been the best fighter he had faced. And I don't blame Ramirez for that because two of those fights were mandatory, were eliminators. So he's got to put himself in position to force the fight against Bevel because if he hadn't, Bevel would have fought Boazzi on that weekend and, and he wouldn't have been in that position. But in that fight, we learned that maybe Zerto... Certainly not the power puncher we thought he was at 175. All that being said, I don't blame... Like, people are piling on Zerto a little bit. What do you... The guy fought the best guy. Like, he fought a top 10 pound-for-pound pound guy. We want him to avoid these fights? Like, do we want him to be like Munguia yeah. in those I'm with, situations? No, I'm with you. Like, like I uh, criticized him to a certain degree. I said he was exposed. But I, did, I wasn't criticizing him for... Especially at light heavyweight what he had done, but I was saying, I was criticizing his management team, right? Mm -hmm. His old management team and his new management team. Uh, because, you know, you gotta, like, I wish in boxing they would learn, and I think there's a lot of smart people out there, but some, they still worry about losses. Like, the, I don't think the TV networks care as much about losses as these managers and, and some fans seem to think they do. You know what, if you show up and you give me a good fight, People, the people are going to want to see you, and the networks are going to want to put you on. And I think that they just were so low risk with Zerto that the first really good fighter he fought, there, no question, Bibble's an A, a fighter. You know, um, and when he got in the ring with an A fighter, he was ill-equipped to deal with it. And I think Zerto is talented enough that had he seen that prior, you know, maybe you're not going to see a Dimitri Bivol prior, but you know, some better. You know, there was some good guys at 68 when he was there. Mm -hmm. He could have fought the, some of those guys. He would have been more equipped for this and I think would have been, had a better chance of winning. I don't think he would have ever won that fight, but he would have had a chance. And even if you lose in boxing, if you get one low-level win, you're right all the way back. And it's like, all right, now we want to see him back. If, if Zerto went out and knocked somebody out in his next fight, be like, well, is he going to fight a cruiserweight? Is he going to fight for a title there? I mean, losses, we could go all day long on that. Don't mean anything. All right, the question now for Dimitri Bivol going forward is what's next? Um... It certainly sounds like Archer Betterbiev is headed for that fight against Anthony Yard in the first quarter. In January, of January, February, something like that. Um, it's the WBO mandatory. He's got to do it to keep his belt. It's already signed, sealed, and delivered, according to people I've talked to with, with top rank. Um, but if there's an option for Bevel in like May or June of next year, what's the bigger fight for him in your mind? Is it that unification fight with Archer Betterbiev? Or is it a rematch with Canelo, a generational pound-for-pound -pound talent, uh, which could conceivably take place at 168 pounds, which would put Bevel in position to fight for the undisputed championship there? He commented to you in the ring in Abu Dhabi, and I think he showed you, you know, I mean, he said, that's, I'm, not, I'm a light heavyweight, and, you know, that's a tough cut. You know, he's, he's a, an amazing athlete. He's lean. And at 175, now you're going to ask him to take seven pounds mm. off against a world-class fighter like Canelo. Um, you know, that is a really, really difficult thing to do. I think if his team and he, you know, if they get a nutritionist and they feel like they can make it, 
that fight is both a money fight and a legacy fight. So it gives you both. Because if you beat Canelo, I think you put yourself in the Hall of Fame given yeah, what he's already done. That is, a, you know, he may be in now as it is anyways. But I think if you beat Canelo a second time, you are a Hall of Famer. You've done that. You, you're stamping yourself as one of the greatest fighters in the world. There's no doubt he would be in the top five pound for pound at that point. You know, some people have him in the top ten now. Some people have him just outside the top ten. He's in if he does that. But... If, you know, on the side of uh, fighting better Biev, you know, you're going to go up against maybe like the Mike uh, Tyson of light heavyweights. Yep. A guy, what is he? Is he 17 or no with 17 knockouts or 18 or no? With, yeah, yeah. 18 you know, just, I mean, he just destroyed Joe Smith, a pretty good, solid fighter. He's got a great chin. Went 12 rounds right. with Bevel. And he, he destroys him. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even. A, so if you go in there and you win the undisputed light heavyweight title by beating that guy, I think, again, you know, you're going to look, hey, when you copping on top of his his win over Canelo and that again you know this guy saying hey he, this is a Hall of Fame fighter um, so he has good choices to make you know obviously the Canelo fight is going to be the richer fight I wonder if they can do this if they could have uh, Canelo excuse me um, Bivol and um, better be have come back in maybe May and fight like after Canelo does and then them fight in September on the rematch and, and do it that way. I don't know who you would put Canelo with in the interim if you did that, but I think that might be something for, for Bivol's team that now he's the undisputed light heavyweight champion going up against the undisputed, and they can pull a Sugar Ray Leonard, Donnie Lalonde thing where mm -hmm. weigh in at 168 and you're fighting for undisputed at point. both classes. That's a good point. You could do both. Sugar Ray certainly did it. I, I would <laughs> better be have doesn't just beat guys ends careers right <laughs> like he, he at one point ended alexander vostick's career unclear if we see joe smith ever again back in the ring um if i'm bevel and i can in a healthy way get down to 168 i would push for that fight because not only is there a lot of money um you would be the favorite going in you would have a chance to win all the belts at 168 and do what nobody has ever done which is win two undisputed champions on the men's side respect Clarissa Shields yeah. um, on the men's side win two undisputed championships and do it in two fights right. like that would be a really remarkable and historical accomplishment it all comes down to his ability to cut weight and look the only reason I bring it up and I brought it up to him in the ring is because he suggested before like when he was not getting fights at 175 right. he was talking about being able to cut down to 168. And that, to me, makes the Canelo fight a little bit more interesting. If it's Canelo Bevel at 175... We've seen it. We've seen it. I, I don't think Canelo wins that fight. As, as great as Canelo is, I think that's a bridge too far for him to go up against a fighter like that at that weight class. At 168, you take a little bit out of Dimitri Bevel, maybe his speed, maybe his reflexes, maybe they go a little bit. You give yourself a little bit more of a chance. That fight interests me, Kevin. I, I would be more on board for Bevel Canelo at 168 right now than I am for Bevel Better BF. The other part of it is you just can't count on Archer Better BF to be healthy. Like you just, well, if you're he, banking yeah. on why him. Why he's to only be fought able, less than 20 yeah, times. If you're banking him to be able to fight in June uh, or May or June, I don't know after if I'd fight. After he fought until late January. After, I mean, I, personally, I, I don't think Anthony Young. I talked to John play. Scully about him, though, and John Scully is confident that he could come back. Uh, one of his trainers. I don't believe the yard fight's going to go very long. Anthony Yard, good for him for getting in this position, but I, he's I, he's better. Bev is a steamroller, man, and I don't think Yard can put up the resistance to him. A lot of people, like I, I was talking to some people at top rank and criticizing the fight. Right uh, after the Joe Smith fight, I was no, no, no with Anthony Yard. Um, 
And I don't understand why boxing likes those kind of fights and why the organizations make these kind of mandatories. Because you know what? It benefits them, and then they're, and then they're not going to get crap from people like you and me if they look and they say, hey, you know what? Let's, let's set it up so that we can have this big fight, you know, whoever the big fight happens to be. But in this case, like a Bivol and, and him. Like set it up for that because now it's going to be a big money fight, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to an Anthony Yard fight, which is, you know, going to be a little bit less. And, and then theoretically a Canelo fight. I, I, don't, I don't understand, and boxing likes to put these goofy little fights in there, and I don't think you need it. And, and to me, that's something on the business side. I, I love what's going on in boxing today. I think there's so many, there, I've covered boxing for what, 40 years. I covered fights in the 70s. Um, and I, I think that current talent now the world championship level talent and just below that on the way up is as good as it's been like, you know, maybe in the late 80s, mid 80s. You know, there's been there's a lot of guys in a lot of divisions. Plus, you see some of these kids coming up or five and oh, six and oh. I'm not 100 percent sold on Ashton Silva yet, but the kid that's uh, fought on the Jake Paul undercard. But I think he's a guy I look at and go, you know, maybe he is something. Uh, I'm not 100 percent there on him yet, but uh, he's a guy that attracted my interest. So why not? take advantage of this and promote these great fighters and promote them in big fights because you know what I know Ryan Garcia wants to fight Tank Davis I know that Devin Haney wants to fight Loma and Shakur Stevenson um, you know Teofimo Lopez wants to fight uh, Josh Taylor all the, you know these kids want to fight each other let them do it mm -hmm. yeah I, networks promoters politics everything stands in the way and it's it, it, it is absolutely keeping boxing from rising boxing could easily rise if it just gets out of its own way we've been having that conversation uh, for many years now. Uh, to put a button on the Bevol topic, Canelo's out there, just had hand surgery. Eddie Hearn says he'll be back uh, training in full by the end of December, early January, theoretically healthy enough to fight in May. Should Canelo pursue the rematch with Dimitri Bevol? He was beaten pretty soundly in that last fight. Um, he's a dominant 168, but at 175, he can beat someone like Sergey Kovalev can he compete with Bevel? Can he compete with Better Biev? That might be um, just a, a weight too big at this point for Canelo. Should should he pursue the Bevel fight, or should he look in the direction of, say, the winner of David Benavidez versus Caleb Plant, which, cross our fingers, we think is going to happen in the first quarter of 2023? You know, here's the problem. I, I picked Canelo to beat Bevel, and I said it was a 50-50 fight, but I thought if it's a close fight in Las Vegas that Canelo's going to win the decision. I thought so too. You know, yeah. right? So He almost did get like the Vegas push because I had like 17-11, I think, and I don't uh, – it, was, yeah, it, it wasn't 15-13. But, you sure. know, when you look at that, when you see them in the ring fighting, I mean, Bivol's considerably bigger, and the, and the reach. You know, Canelo didn't have a way to really touch him the way he touches a lot of these guys that are his size because Canelo's an accurate puncher. He's quick. He's got good footwork to put himself in position. He did those things against Bivol, but then Bivol had that little reach advantage on him, pow, with a jab, and that jab would slow Canelo down for a second, and Bivol would throw a combination. So just are you bringing Bivol down to 68 exactly? going to stop that if Bivol can make 68 healthy I don't know how Canelo turns that around mm. now for Canelo you know Canelo's like a guy he likes to say bleep you I can do it and he's going to prove Always. himself to you and so that's what we love about Canelo that he has that brash attitude and that's what we want in a guy and so from that standpoint you say hey you know God bless you you've done so much go ahead and try mm. but I, I I like your line of thinking because I think you know what 
you've proven that that size is too big of an issue against you. And if you beat him a second time, there's always going to be that lingering doubt. Well, Bivol came down in weight, mm-hmm. and that's not, you know, that's not good for him. And Roy Jones proved that, right? When Roy Jones went down after he won the heavyweight title and he went back down uh, to 175, you know, that was a massive mistake. You drop all that muscle off, and you're not the same, mm-hmm. same type of fighter that you were before. And who did he fight? Glenn Johnson. I mm-hmm. think he got knocked out yep. twice. Um, and that, you know, that became a, a big issue. So to my way of thinking, Chris, um, I think Canelo might be better to look at somebody and, you know, hey, he's fought Plant. I know Plant has a little bit of heat after that knockout of uh, Durrell. But if Benavides beats him, and I think, you know, that's the hope that PBC has yeah. because uh, Benavides is the fresh face that they can now set Benavides up uh, to fight him. And to me, that's a great fight for Canelo because Benavides is a big kid, right? Yeah. Bigger than Canelo. And I think that's the fight. And then you can have Bivol go fight. Better be a first. And, and look, Canelo has not been ducking Benavides. We need to be no, clear that. No, like The idea like these trolls out there. He is a, you are a moron if you think that Canelo <laughs> is ducking Benavides. If David Benavides had not screwed up the WBC title situation, he would have fought Canelo already. Canelo was chasing those belts. He went after the guys with the belts. Then he fought a legacy fight against Gennady Golovkin. He's not ducking Benavidez. And Benavidez, to his credit, has said, I need to earn that fight with Canelo. He's been chasing it. And this plant fight after plant had just stopped Anthony Durrell is that kind of stepping stone type of fight if he gets there. I think that's not fight, a stepping stone fight. It's a good fight. Yeah, but yeah. it would springboard him. I guess stepping right. stone is the wrong word. Springboard him into a Canelo fight. I, I don't... I don't hate the idea of Canelo waiting until September, fighting David Benavidez, and if he wins and if he comes out clean, there's nothing stopping Canelo from doing one of those Eddie Hearn specialties and fighting overseas somewhere against like a John Ryder type, which has been in the water he supply. He tried that. His first is on. Yeah, yeah like you, you can do that. He can get his two fights a year in, make his money, and, and stay as active as he'd like to stay. I, I don't hate that idea, but Canelo as you alluded to, like, he's a little bit crazy. Like, he's, you know, he, it, I'm sure it gnaws at him that he lost to Dimitri Bivol. I'm sure it really, really bothers him. I, I just don't know, to your earlier point, I don't know that he's going to be able to turn the tide on, on a situation like that. All right, last thing I want to hit you with. You wrote a great piece over at Yahoo Sports about the 13 fights that you want to see in 2023. Some of them are realistic. You've got Joshua, or sorry, Fury against Usyk, maybe Fury against Joshua. We could see that. Others, especially in the lower weight classes, not so much. You've got Spence Crawford still doing their thing back and forth. I really love the idea of Inouye versus Stephen Fulton. Oh, like, that'd that's be unbelievable. A, that's a tremendous fight. If you're Stephen Fulton, what are you doing out there right now? I mean, you're just kind of, I mean, the Aquadalia fight, it was never going to come together anyway. Now Aquadalia is hurt. Like, you've got to strike while the iron's hot. If Inouye moves up, you've got to push hard. For that type well, of he's fight. Well, he's got the unification fight in uh, December, and then I think they're ready to go. Oh, yeah. Uh, in a way, I mean, yeah. He's, he's gone. I'm up. Those belts are fractured, and then um, we'll see what happened. But that, that, to me, when I looked at your list, you know, I, I love Ryan versus Tank, and I actually think we're getting closer to making a deal on that fight. But when I saw in a way versus Fulton, man, give me that. In a way style of come forward, big power, Fulton more of a slicker boxer. I love that style matchup. I tried to make put fights that I said, okay, what fights do I want to see? And there was a bunch of other ones I wanted, but like Andy Ruiz and Wilder was in the work, so yep. I didn't put that on there. I called for that fight before. Now, I think it's too late, right, and Andy Ruiz's star continues to drop. You know, I, I if he would have fought Wilder instead of Robert Hellenius and mm-hmm. forget about Luis, I mean, PBC kept trying to sell the ghost of Luis Ortiz mm-hmm. as some threat. 
And, you know, who did Luis Ortiz ever beat in his professional career? And, yes, he has power, and, you know, yes, he knocked down, you know, Deontay Wilder. But, you know what, he got beaten by him, and he's – what can – Did he knock down Wilder? He hurt Wilder. He, no. did, he knocked him down, he didn't he? Down. No, I think he hurt him in that first the, fight. The Brooklyn fight? Okay. I think so, I think not in the second down. fight yeah. for sure. But, you know, Wilder dominated the second fight. But either way, you know, they, he had him in some difficulty and was ahead. But who is who is Ortiz ever beaten? So, to me, the fight, if, if and if Wilder had decided to take a long, even longer off, I would have understood. But Wilder coming off that Fury fight, to me, Andy Ruiz was the fight to make. Because, you know, Wilder is, like you said about Canelo, crazy. Wilder wants to be in there, and mm-hmm. God bless him for the attitude he has. He's one of the guys that wants to make the big fights, and he's looking to fight, you know, the, the big guys. If you wanted to get one of those fights again, Andy Ruiz was the fight to make, in my opinion. Uh, you know, Hellenius just didn't have the name power. But I, I don't know what, you know, the PBC, I guess, was trying to milk every single last thing they could get out of uh, Ortiz. Mm. And, and what did they do? They, they did a dud of a pay-per-view, and it actually, Andy didn't look great in that fight, right? Yeah. I mean, if Andy blows him on and puts him down and puts his arms up in the air while Ortiz is rolling around on the canvas, that's one thing. He but was he didn't very tentative in that fight. Knocked Ortiz down a few times, but I don't know if the punch resistance is there for Andy Ruiz like it used to be. I mean, he took that shot from Anthony Joshua, got up, came back, knocked him out, but you look at the Areola Deontay fight. Deontay Wilder is a totally different totally, story. Yeah, but Areola knocked him down. I, I think he was a little bit nervous about Ortiz in that fight and his power. Wilder, I mean, Ruiz, Ruiz could catch Wilder. I mean, like, he's got good hand speed That's what still. makes the fight interesting. That's what makes it like. But I tried to look at other fights, Chris, and say, so I brought Joe Joyce up. Yeah. Because think about Joe Joyce. To me, he reminds me of a poor man's George Foreman. Yeah. Big, strong. Relentless. Kind of slow, but he moves forward and he can take a shot. And you would see George come out of those fights, you know, 93, 94, 95. He's wearing the sunglasses. His face got beat up, but somebody's, you know, you know, babbling incoherently in the corner because he, he knocked, the, you know, the hell out of him. And I think that, you know, that sort of Joe in a lower level reminds me of that. So you're going to tell me Deontay Wilder versus Joe Joyce would not be an unbelievable fight to watch. You know, mm-hmm. just from a fan's perspective, it wouldn't be a fun fight. You know somebody's going to get knocked out. You know it's going to be rock'em, sock'em robots. And so that's kind of what I tried to do as I went down that list. And, you know, I had to hit some of the obvious ones like Spence and Crawford that were there. But, you know, and I, I do want to see that fight because I think, you know, you're talking two welterweights in their prime who are, you know, among the five best fighters in the world, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you have that, that, that uplifts boxing when those kind of guys fight. And you can also showcase other elite talent on those undercards, right? Um, I remember many years ago, and I've said this on many interviews, Chris, but when De La Hoya Mayweather got made, I called Richard Schaefer. Uh, he was at Golden Boy at the time, and I said, Richard, you should put Rafael Marquez and Israel Vasquez <laughs> on that undercard. And he's always going to cost a million dollars to make that fight. What did that fight make? I think it made $280 million uh, that night. Mm. That $1 million investment would have not helped them that night, but it would help boxing's future. Mm-hmm. People are gonna, who went away from boxing would have said, holy shit, are these guys, th- is this what boxing is now? And I think that's what they miss on when they don't put those kind of fights on pay-per-view. I agree. I agree. Um, and if you're going to do pay-per-views, stack them as best you can. I know the money isn't there like it used to be, but you've got to do better than what most of these pay-per-views are, which is a pretty decent headlining fight and then a lot of one-sided fights right. on the undercard. It's it's problematic. Uh, Kevin Ioli, you are off to New York to cover UFC this weekend, so we'll be on separate coasts. Even though I live on the East Coast, I'm on the West Coast, you'll be uh, in my backyard. And it's going to switch York. back, right? Yeah. Appreciate your time, Kevin. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. And when we come back, my conversation with Sinisa Estrada. 
eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. I'm not guarding like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because they didn't need it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. While the NBA season is underway, and it's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Plus, FanDuel is the only sportsbook that's giving all customers three months of NBA League Pass when they make a $5 bet. You guys know from listening to me, following me, I am an NBA guy, and gambling has become a big part of the NBA landscape It's competitive out there at the moment. And at the moment, you've got some teams like Utah, Portland, teams that you didn't think were going to be that good. They're good. Teams that you thought were going to be good, Philadelphia, 
aren't quite as good, so some interesting places to make bets right now. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. You can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Plus, with live betting, you'll get updated odds on games that have already started. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. So download FanDuel today and use promo code BOXING to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. All right, Sinisa Estrada is a two-division world champion. On Saturday, she will end an 11-month layoff when she returns to defend her 105-pound title. That's a fight you can watch over on ESPN Plus on Saturday. It is live out here in Las Vegas. She is also the proud protege of a friend of the podcast, Sergio Mora, one of the from the Sergio Mora fighting tree. Is that accurate to say? That is accurate, unfortunately. <laughs> that is accurate. Does we, he he co-hosts with you, right? He likes to think so. Oh, so he's not officially he's, a co-host. No. I, I just saw, before we sat down to record, they just tweeted out that he's not appearing again on this podcast until I admit that he's my highest rated guest. <laughs> I will not be admitting that today, since that is inaccurate, and I like to be accurate here on the show. <laughs> but Sergio is a free quest. We joke, though, but you, know, you were an avid follower of Sergio you effectively are a stable mate of Sergio since you are trained by Dean Campos who of course was in Sergio's corner for many years during his career so you are a in a way a, a protege of not a protege I guess is the wrong word but I guess a yeah. disciple of Sergio yes I believe it or not I was a fan of Sergio growing up I was probably one of his 10 fans <laughs> growing up <laughs> I'm just kidding no Sergio had a great style great footwork and and defense and I grew up we grew up, tr I grew up training in the same gym as him. Um, I was just training. My dad was training me at the time and Dean was training Sergio. They were getting ready to go um, through the Olympic trials. And then after that, he got onto the contender TV show and went through that, won it and uh, started training with Dean when I was 16. And it was because I loved Sergio's style. What was it about that style that you loved? Just, it was different. His footwork and defense was great. Of, of course, Sergio doesn't have power, and that was... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sergio. Um, but everybody knows that. He, he would admit that He wasn't you, right? a power puncher. But that's why Dean had to create all these different, all these different moves and, and training methods and techniques for him to be able to be able to win fights against fighters who are a lot stronger or even a lot um, more experienced than him so he can get through these fights and his style worked um our style i mean mm. i fight that way too with mm. my footwork and my defense and my movement except i actually i have the power so that makes it even easier for me <laughs> for, for people that don't understand like what made his footwork special when you watched his footwork what did you see and what did you try to to kind of emulate I mean, foot placement is so important important in boxing. That makes a huge difference as to... I mean, for example, we saw that last weekend with the Bavol and yeah. Zudo fight. His foot placement was just perfect, and that's what made his punches be so precise and accurate and mm -hmm. made it easier for him to land all the punches that he wanted to. So when watching Sergio, I just recognized and noticed how his foot placement was always just so good it put him in positions to where he was able to land punches from the side of opponents and land punches from all different angles like you you didn't know where Sergio was going next and that's the same thing with me and my style like my opponents 
don't know what I'm going to do next because mm. I'm always I'm always keeping them guessing, but I always know what I'm going to do next. You switch a lot in the ring too. Sergio didn't switch that much, did he? He didn't switch as much, yeah. but but yes, he was very good at mm. at throwing certain punches out of out of a southpaw stance because that's what Dean mm. does teach us. That's that's tricky, right? I mean, we've seen there's only a handful of fighters that really switch in boxing. Terence Crawford does it at a pretty high level. This I'm blanking, but I'm sure there's a few others like that. That's not easy to kind of master because you've got to be really comfortable in both stances, right? You do, and I'm actually very comfortable. I'm more comfortable in a southpaw stance <laughs> than I am in an orthodox stance. Like even Dean is like, man, like you can do certain things easier out of a southpaw stance. And when I started boxing, I would always stand left-handed, and my dad would always make me turn back to my orthodox stance but as time went on he noticed that i was doing things so much better out of a southpaw stance and it was kind of just working mm. what i was doing so he kind of just let me be and let me um switch back and forth when i felt it was necessary mm. everybody knows now women's boxing is experiencing like an unbelievable surge you've got women making seven figure paydays the biggest boxing matches on men's or women's side are being fought by women you know you look go back to katie taylor amanda serrano a couple weekends ago you had a great card over in the uk where both women's fights were were impressive i want to ask you about that but when you first started in boxing when back when you were eight nine years old what was women's boxing back then like what do you remember women's boxing being when you first picked up those gloves well i started watching boxing with my dad when i was about six years old and the first question I asked him was dad do girls box because we didn't watch any women on TV it was just men so I didn't think that women's boxing even existed so growing up I getting into boxing I didn't realize how how dead women's boxing was in LA I was one of maybe three girls who were in going into every gym in East LA for sparring and in LA because um, it was still is, what, like Christy Martin, Leila Ali, yeah, at the was, end, um, like the end of, the, of that, the, the like Lucia Riker, kind of. There wasn't in professional, the professional level. It was more, right? I don't want to say gimmicky, but it was few and far between. We saw women's fights. Yeah, it wasn't enough to like keep no depth whatsoever. No depth. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, it was it was pretty difficult coming growing up in LA, being one of the very few girls walking into a boxing gym and all my sparring partners were boys it was hard to even find another mm. girl to spar with um so to see how far it's come now is just incredible mm. like i've always known it would get to the, the point where it is now i just didn't know when uh that's the one thing about women's boxing getting into women's boxing that early is was just so unpredictable and wanting to turn pro i had no idea how dead women's boxing still was at the time and my professional career took was a very slow start because I was so inactive. Big promoters weren't signing women. Women weren't fighting on TV. Uh, but now the breakthrough has been incredible. And it's just been mm. in the past couple of years. This year actually mm. is like, like you said, the best year that women's boxing has had ever. Mm. When did you decide that this would be a career path? Like when does it go from being something you want to do because you sit in front of a TV and watch and ask your dad, or do women box to this is something I want to do for most of my life. I knew that when I was seven before I started <laughs> boxing, I started boxing at eight years old. But when I was seven, I was 
sitting in front of the TV watching a boxing fight. I don't, even, I don't even remember which fight specifically, but I thought to myself, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Well, not the rest of my life, but you know, and, uh, <laughs> as, and, a, profession, uh, as yeah. a professional, this is going to be my career. I'm going to be a world champion one day. I'm going to fight on TV one day and I'm going to be signed by one of the biggest promoters in boxing one day. I said that at seven years old when mm. like, it, like my dad thought I was fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he thought I, like he, he thought I was insane. Of course, my mom did too for a very long time, but, um, I just knew it. I knew it. And I knew women's boxing would be where it is right now. And your dad as he's been around he's around every one of your fights works your corner along with dean um you still you've told the story before but he was initially skeptical of it right like he threw you in with a boy your first time out yeah when i first asked asked him if i can box he avoided taking me to a gym for about six months i i was constantly just bugging him and i think it got to the point where he was just annoyed so he was like all right fine like i'll take her to a gym and um I was training for about two weeks and he still didn't want me boxing. So he asked my trainer at the time to put me in the ring to spar with a boy so he can beat me up, make me cry. That way I would not want to go back to the gym ever. As every good father wants to do it, make his eight year old daughter cry. (laughs) (laughs) So I get in there with the boy and the boy had been sparring. I mean, had been boxing for a few months, get in there. My technique was awful. I didn't know what I was doing. Hmm. All I knew was, I mean, I knew I just wanted to go in there and just just fight. And that's what I did. So I ended up making the boy cry, making him quit. And he uh, never came back to the gym again. So the plan kind of backfired on my dad. But I think even though he didn't show it in his facial expressions, in his mind, he was thinking, holy shit, like she has some she has potential and there's something there's something there. Like I got to I got to give her a chance to at least see what she can do in this sport. How does Dean get involved in your life. I mean, he became well-known as the trainer for Sergio Mora. When Sergio wins the contender, goes on to world championship level fights, fights for as far as twice, obviously Dean intimately involved in that. When does he get involved in your career? So around the time where I knew that I wanted to turn pro, I, I asked, I, me and my dad had a talk and I was like, I want Dean to train me because I, I knew like, I had a great amateur career. However, I had over a hundred amateur fights and my style's never been very amateurish. So I knew my, I would be, have an easy transition into the pros, but I knew that I had to be better. I wanted to get better. Like I still want to get better every single, every single fight. I want to be better. So I, I told my dad, I think Dean would be the perfect person to just teach me new things and take me to another, another level. And my dad like what's so great about him and is he's not one of those boxing fathers who just want full control of their kids career and and uh that that was the great thing I think that was the best decision he could have ever made was letting Dean take full control over um my style and everything that Dean wants to teach me so we were still training at the same gym as Dean as we've always have um and my dad goes into the gym one day and says, Dean, can you help me out with Sinisa? I was, you know, we just wanted to, we kind of wanted to like r- break them in easily and, and easy and say, you know, just help it, help her out um, and show her some new things. So Dean hates women's boxing, hates women's, bo- well, hated women's boxing. Past tense. Should I say yeah. past tense. Um, and he was not, was not up for training me. Um, my dad gave him some, 
some old tapes and he left them there and he said oh, here's some tapes if you want to check them out and uh dean would see me sparring in the gym here and there but you know that 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 was pretty much it so dean was dean said he was bored one night <laughs> he throws on my t old tapes and he starts watching me and he's like he thinks to himself wow like she's doing stuff that sergio doesn't even do or doing stuff as a kid that took sergio years to even perfect or learn and i was just fighting off of instinct mm. and uh so he gave me he he we we came to the gym the next day and he's like sakari i'll help her out i'll show her some things so dean still didn't want to train me 100 percent. so he thought okay well let me let me show her some things it's gonna just blow her mind and she's not gonna understand it and she's gonna say eh, i don't want to train with dean <laughs> anymore <laughs> so he taught me this move um, I, I mean, I can't explain it. I would have to get up and, and show you. <laughs> so he taught me this move and I spar I, I had sparring set up already the next day. So he's like, well, try it in sparring if you can, you know, no big deal if you can't do it. And I thought to myself, this is easy. I'm going to do this in sparring. Like I already, I already knew in my mind that I was going to, mm -hmm. I was going to do it multiple times, not just one time. Get in the ring. I do the move that he showed me the day before. And we still have, we still have the, the, the footage of that. You could hear Dean say, tell my dad joe joe she fucking did it she did the move oh my god and he's like it took sergio fucking two years to perfect this move and she just did it the next day after i showed it to her so um after that i think kind of the same thing with my dad when my dad first put me in the ring and didn't think i was capable of doing anything mm -hmm. dean kind of thought the same thing and after that it just made it so easy for him to just train me and teach me things because I just picked up on everything so quickly and easily. You hear that a lot, or I hear that a lot from women's boxing trainers, the skepticism they have coming into it and then how happy they are that they did, whether it's Al Mitchell and Michaela Mayer, Ross Enemy and Katie Taylor, mm -hmm. and now Dean, who you're, you're basically his stable at this point um, right, yeah. as far as professionals go and and he's totally committed to, to working with you. Yeah. And, and that's crazy because I remember when Dean, when I first turned pro, he didn't tell me this because he didn't want to discourage me, make me feel bad. So, but now he told me years later that he thought to himself, man, if this girl makes $50,000 in her entire professional career, like I'll be happy with that. And then when I made my first hundred thousand for one fight, hmm. he was like, oh fuck like <laughs> this is okay like this this is this is different like things are changing and I don't blame him for not wanting to train me or blame other trainers for not wanting to train women because I didn't like women's boxing either when I was coming up as a kid like the fights that I would see on tv or would see in the pros the skill level was just terrible mm. like why would you want to see that you know it, it kind of it just wasn't where it's at now now women are so skilled if you don't like women's boxing and you watch the top women like Katie, Amanda, Clarissa, me, Michaela, all the top women, our skill level is so good that whether or not you're a women's boxing fan, you're going to become one mm. watching us because you just can't deny the, the talent level. You didn't have the traditional amateur pop that some of these other women had with Katie winning a gold medal and competing in two Olympics, Clarissa winning two gold medals, Michaela Mayer coming out of the 2016 Olympics. What was your first breakthrough? Like, what was, what do you feel like was your Olympic moment where you kind of got that, that bounce that put you on another level? 
In the amateurs? Well, not the am- no, the amateurs, because you were in the pros oh, okay. you know, first. But like, what, what yeah. was your breakthrough moment like in, in the pro ranks? Um, I would say I would say th- it all started with Tom Loeffler giving me the opportunity mm. to fight on multiple Triple G undercards and then Chocolatito cards, because obviously those brought in so many, mm. so many people. Those were big cards. And Tom did a lot of stuff behind the scenes that doesn't get a lot of credit he for. Did, like he does. Whether it's the flyweights I mean, and mainstreaming them, and as you said, you know, women's boxing, putting you on those cards. Yeah, and he put me on those cards, of course, because I was able to sell a lot of tickets in L.A., which which is great. You know, of course, it was gr- it, it was great for me. To Tom be does able love to- when you sell tickets. That's another thing. Yeah, Tom, yeah. Tom loves. I mean, it's business. He it wouldn't is, have, he wouldn't have put me on those cards if I couldn't sell tickets. So, but yeah, I, I love Tom. We're, we still have a great relationship and. Um, man, it's been almost 10 years since I've known him mm-hmm. and, um, I, I'm thankful that he gave me that opportunity to be on all those cards. And that's what gave me that breakthrough. I remember when I was on my first triple G undercard, um, Roy Jones was ringside with Max and they were rehearsing and Roy kept looking back and watching, watching my fight while they were trying to rehearse. And I can hear someone say, Roy, like, we're rehearsing and Roy's like no 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 stop wait a minute and Roy stopped the rehearsal kept watching my fight until it was until it was over and then the next day at um I believe it was uh who was he training at the time Jesse Vargas I believe he helped him for mm. a fight at the press conference um I went to do some media interviews and I was sitting in the crowd and he completely stopped the press conference he was like I know this is completely off the record right now but you see that girl right there he pointed at me, and I even looked behind me. I was like, girl, <laughs> who is he talking about? And um, he's like, stand up. Tell everybody your name. And I was like, uh, Sinisa. <laughs> and I was so nervous, and I was like, oh, my God, like that's Roy Jones, my hero, um, one of my favorite fighters of all time mm-hmm. besides Sugar Ray Leonard. So to hear him talk about me and just give me all of those compliments was just incredible. Like, I, I cried. I was like, oh, my God, like mm-hmm. I can't believe this. And him saying that, to all of the media that was there after that it made all of the local LA media just so a lot of them already knew me but the ones who didn't it just it just created this huge buzz around me Mm -hmm. and that's when everybody was like interested and like man women's boxing can can make some progression I think that's when people started to to see that and then after that Tom was like okay you're on this card, you're on that card, you're on the next card. He had me booked for Triple G undercards and Chocolatito undercards mm. months before they were happening. He's like, you're on, it's your spot, <laughs> like, get ready. You know, so that was great. Because before that, I was very inactive. My professional career started so slow. Um, and then from those cards, that led to Golden Boy wanting to sign me. Mm. And that was right How after. How big a moment was that? For you, because you grew up in East L.A., same as Oscar De La Hoya. You were obviously well aware of his accomplishments. Right. Um, was that something that you were hoping to do at that stage of your career, to be part of whatever Oscar was doing at that time? Definitely. I, I You know, being from East L.A., Oscar was just somebody who inspired so many people. And them signing Esparza first out of the Olympics, I think the Olympic thing kind of definitely helped in so many ways katie came out of there mm. and then clarissa after that so signing with golden boy was was huge it was it was great mm-hmm. and they i mean and you fought for two world titles with that i mean how big i mean people talk nowadays everybody mm-hmm. kind of looks at titles sort of in a negative light at some point it's all oh, secondary title this so people criticize titles but for you winning that first world title 
what did that mean to you as as part of your journey? It was great. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, when, good, good quote. Good, good. <laughs> well, uh, that's, that's when people ask me that. I don't know. I think they expect <laughs> me to say a whole speech of how how I felt and how great it was. I, don't but know, I put my I put my covers of Sports Illustrated on the wall. Like that's my world title. Like that's. I mean, my world titles and the two the two other intern belts that I've won. Mm. All four of those belts are sitting on the floor in my bedroom <laughs> <laughs> not that i don't care about them but it's just that first world title it was it was satisfying that's all i can say it mm-hmm. was satisfying but it's because i'm so competitive and there's so much more that i want one bout is is nothing to me mm-hmm. i want to be undisputed at 105 108 and 112 so i i give myself no credit yet i think once i'm once i accomplish that then i'll i'll be happy with myself and you had, to, I mean, when you were younger, just trying to get fights, you must have had to jump up and down and wait outside of your weight class a lot just to get some of these fights. In the pros? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but I, be, I had been doing that since I was an amateur. Um, I would weigh in with my dad's keys and cell phones in my pocket <laughs> so I can get a fight because there wasn't many young girls at the time or, or women fighting. So I would have to weigh in with all of that stuff in my pocket all my clothes on just so I can jump three weight classes and Mm -hmm. fight someone um and that also transitioned into the professionals um I was fighting out of my weight class just all through the beginning of my career until I until I signed with Golden Boy Mm. um I was fighting girls who were naturally bantamweights I was eating and stuffing my face with food just so I can try to get close to the weight so we can make the fight happen. Mm -hmm. And once I signed with Golden Boy, I was able to finally fight girls who were naturally at my weight class, which is when all the knockouts started coming. Mm -hmm. So I always knew when I I had the the natural power, I just wasn't able to show it. So if I would have started my career with Golden Boy, I would be 22 and 0 with at least 18 Mm -hmm. knockouts. One of my favorite, no, it's not favorite, but I like one of the movies I like is is this movie that james franco is he's in the military and he's a boxer and he he's on the scale and he's eating a snickers bar while he's on the scale <laughs> to get to a weight to fight the guy he's wanted to fight have you ever had to just pig out to get to within a certain weight range to to take a fight oh yeah <laughs> i i did that at least um i mean every single fight i had before signing with golden boy <laughs> i signed with them when i was what 12 and 0 i believe and every single fight because so that. just so people know you have to if you're going to fight at say 115 you've got to be at 112 right you've got to at least be within pounds. three pounds of that way or else you're in a different weight class yeah yeah so i would eat um i remember one time i fought on i think it was a chocolatito undercard and <laughs> i had to gain about f- f- another three pounds just to make that weight limit so the fight can happen and i had um my dad ran to McDonald's. I, I ate a whole <laughs> meal, double cheeseburger, fries, uh, down to whole Gatorade. Still wasn't enough. So he went to Randy's Donuts and got me this giant bear claw and a huge milk. So gross. It was disgusting. I, I, I wanted to throw up, but I, I had to I had to do it and um, ended up barely making the weight. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, things like that are just it's funny to now when I look back and I think, like what was I what was I thinking fighting these girls who were so freaking huge I'm like I'm I'm insane for doing that but at the same time it, it's what I wanted to do it's what I had to do in order to to build my record and to stay active 
And Bear Claw and McDonald's. It would take me three days to get that out of my system. <laughs> it would just disgusting. be sitting in my stomach. I was stomach disgusted for... with myself. <laughs> <laughs> just so you want to hear from a fighter. And then, oh, and then when I fought Esparza, even though that was 112 pounds, I was still walking around at, I don't know, maybe 110. Mm. Um, so when I fought Esparza fight week, I was at the buffet at the MGM eating pizza every day. <laughs> and I still weighed in at what was it one maybe 110 point something on fight night i was 109 i went back down <laughs> so uh i mean those are just things that i had to go through that now just make every they make all the success now just feel even sweeter mm-hmm. knowing that i went through all that crap you've spent the last few years with golden boy you've been off for 11 months in part because you decided to separate from golden boy and have signed with top rank i know there's a lot you can't say about what happened there, but was it disappointing to, you know, growing, you know, growing up a fan of Oscar to not have it work out with golden boy? Yes, it was very disappointing. Um, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than Mm. it just, we just couldn't come to an agreement as far as how much money I wanted. And, um, I mean, I wasn't asking for a million dollars a fight. I was not even asking anything close to that. But um, but hey, I'm back <laughs> and I'm with Top Rank and I, I got um, a great deal with Top Rank. It's what I wanted and it's what I, f- with what I feel I deserve. And this these past 11 months, I felt like I was missing out on so much because I'm just so competitive. Like I want to fight all the champions i want to have unification fights i want to be undisputed and this year i wasn't able to do that so i felt like i just i just wasted a whole year and then now that i'm back i think totally different differently because i see how great of a year women's boxing had starting off with katie and serrano and just continuing on with all these other big great matchups and now i think to myself you know what, those 11 months were not wasted at all because I'm back ending the year that was already an incredible year for women's boxing. There's no better time to come back in women's boxing than right now. And all that time that I was off, I was still in the gym, sparring to stay sharp, working on things that I wanted to improve on. So nothing, no, there was, there was no time wasted at all. I think a lot of people, when they saw you were going to be a free agent assumed you would sign with Matchroom. Matchroom has largely cornered the market on women's boxing. They probably control 90% of the top women's boxers that are out there across across continents, whether mm-hmm. it's Alicia Baumgartner here in the U.S., Katie Taylor in the U.K., Ebony Bridges fights uh, from Australia. Uh, what was the process like in deciding who to sign with next? I love Eddie, and I think he does an incredible job with women's boxing, and I even told him that, and... When I met with Eddie, the one thing like I'll always love and respect about Eddie is that he not only did he say like, I mean, he told me he's like, of course, I would I want to sign you would love to sign you. And I will if if, you know, it comes to that. But he also gave me advice, which is what I appreciated so much is that he gave me advice as to what I should do as far as um, making the right decision with a promoter. And when I found out that Top Rank wanted to sign me. Not only was the deal great, but it just made so much more sense. Eddie doesn't have any minimum weights, light flyweights, or flyweights. If he would have signed me, I'm, I know for a fact he would have signed more women at my weight class, of mm. course, for me. 
Um, but the whole, everything, just everything about the deal with Top Rank just all came together. And, and then the, the ESPN platform, I feel like it's being from LA and Mexican American, I just feel it's a perfect platform and it's where I belong. Did it surprise you that Top Rank was interested at first? Um, they have done a great job with Michaela, promoted her the entirety of her pro career, but at the time, she was the only women's boxer as part of their company, and we were just months removed from Bob Arum having some critical comments yeah. about <laughs> women's boxing. When you first got the call from someone at Top Rank, what was your reaction? I was I was pretty surprised. I mean, I know that I'm a perfect a perfect um, fighter to sign as far as to represent women's boxing. I'm with Top Rank, like I know that, but like you said, they have not signed any other females besides Michaela. So I was a little surprised that they were really interested in signing me. And they, uh, Bob's comments didn't bother me <laughs> at all about women's <laughs> boxing. I mean, um, what promoter hasn't said anything negative about women's boxing? Mm. Um, but it just, it all came together. And, and I'm just so grateful to be back with Top Rank. And I've always been a fan of Michaela's, not just in her professional career, but in the amateurs as well. So I've always watched every Michaela fight and I've always recognized how well they've moved her, her career in the pros. I thought they've they've done such a great job with her as far as promotion, marketing and putting the money into her and putting taking all the risks that they needed to take in order to to make sure that people know and people know who she is. Mm. And I thought that was always amazing of everything that they put into her. I always noticed that. So I always thought to myself if I was a top rank, like I know they would, they would back me up in that way and put all that they possibly could into me. What has your Bob Arum experience been like? <laughs> Bob is great. He's a, <laughs> he's a funny guy. He's a funny, sweet guy. I can't wait to spend more time with him. And he'll look. He'll whatever he said about women's boxing before. He'll go out there and promote you. Like exactly. he, will, he, he, he'll be ringside at your fight. He'll be at your press conferences. He'll. He'll promote. He's old school. He'll, he you know, if you're part of his stable, he's going to go out there and promote you even at almost 91 years old yes. as, as best as he can. He's at every single fight, and he's sitting there even during the undercar fights that aren't even, that aren't even televised. Like That just shows how, how much he puts into his promotional company. Mm -hmm. So you return to the ring on Saturday, and this is a, a comeback fight. It's a defense of your 105-pound title. In your mind, what does 2023 look like for you? 2023 is going to be a huge year for me. Um, get past this fight. Argentinian fighters are tough. My opponent, I already know, is going to come to win for sure. Everyone who faces me has their biggest opportunity to defeat the underdog and take the spotlight. And mm -hmm. who wouldn't want to come in to defeat me? So I know she's coming to win, which I don't, I don't take any of my opponents lightly because of that. So get through this fight and have my first unification fight in um, early 2023 is our plan mm. with the uh, WBC world champion from Germany. After that, hopefully have another unification fight at 105 and then I'll have all the bouts at 105. So our, my plan at the end of the year is to have my first fight at 108 and start um, unifying there. Mm. And top rank is right behind me with all that, willing to make it happen. So, mm. And with all the big fights happening, in women's boxing, uh, a rematch with you and Marlon Esparza is still massive. You guys obviously have some spiciness to your to the rivalry there. Uh, still, which is, I 
is quite frankly great. I mean, we saw mm-hmm. what the nastiness between Alicia Baumgartner and Michaela Mayer did for that fight. Everybody was was eager to see those two uh, get in the ring. Uh, I, I assume that's still very much on your radar to to do a rematch with Marlon at, at 112. Definitely. I still want to rematch with Esparza. Um, I want to just shut her up once and for all. I want that to happen, and that's definitely still on my radar for sure. Hopefully she keeps winning and keeps getting all the bouts. So. It's a big money fight for both of, both of you. Like That's a, a huge, huge event if that can happen sometime in the next year, year and a half. Last thing for you. Um, what's like people talk all the time i heard clarissa shields talking this week about it maybe she'll buy katie taylor like the, like the dream hypothetical fight we used to see it in men's boxing with manny pacquiao and oscar Hoya. nobody thought they would ever fight they did and it turned out to be a huge moment i doubt clarissa and katie fight but you know we can we can dream about that is there like a way up in weight way above your <laughs> weight class like end of your career like a dream fight for you that like let's roll the dice and see what happens at a different weight yeah if i were to just take a huge risk and just face a, an opponent way out of my well I would do it out of my weight class so I would say a bantam weight hmm. I would want to fight Ebony Bridges I love Ebony I think she does a great <laughs> Ebony you do an amazing job at just promoting yourself and not giving a shit what anybody thinks I think um it would be a fight that the fans would love um I feel like the the promotion for the fight would be great. So, and then of course it's a huge risk for for me because I'm so much smaller. So it would be an exciting fight. One eighteen, you'd have to. I would eat. <laughs> I yeah, I would eat my way up. I would. Um, I mean, I, I'll have a very happy training camp. I'll be at McDonald's every day. <laughs> now that sounds like something Sergio would say. That sounds like something I'll be at McDonald's every day. <laughs> You must remember and, some some of his weight cuts. Like he he's told me many stories about the cut for Forest Two when he had to take the rematch. He like almost six, died. Yeah. <laughs> what he almost what died. do you remember about that? Um. Well, I remember Sergio just just <laughs> not. I I mean I I I couldn't believe how how he just how the fight was just so um so soon. I mean, as far as how much time he had to prepare. And uh, Sergio, he loses weight in not a very uh, healthy way. <laughs> Let's just say you don't say. Yeah, <laughs> you don't say. But um, I don't. I don't take any weight loss advice from Sergio. That's for sure. He always says he lost that fight on the scale, even though he didn't lose it on the scale. He actually made one fifty four. But he always said I was a zombie after that that weigh in. He was. Yeah. <laughs> he almost died. Dean found him underneath. He was trying to lose weight, and Dean found him passed out just arms just spread wide open laying on the floor dean walked up to him and thought he was dead and like he was like there's no way you're like we have to dean was like i have to get him through this fight without him getting hurt or knocked out Mm. so good thing sergio's footwork and defense came through because that kept him from you know getting knocked out possibly dying as a friend of sergio's do you support or are you against his passionate desire to fight jake paul in a fight (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh um i would love to see that yeah i would love to see jake paul just hit sergio with (laughs) right hand and just put him down (laughs) i've told it's too big a risk for him like if he gets caught with like i mean sergio's even at 42 sergio has kinesio tape all over his body (laughs) he's like a mummy but Um, even at 42 he's probably a better boxer than jake but if your feet aren't there and he hits you with something exactly 
like that's your career. Like that that's how you're not the contender winner anymore. You're not a world champion. You're the ex-champion that got knocked out by Jake Paul. Yes. That, just stay retired, keep commentating. I would love to see I would I, I would love to see the shit talk that Jake would go after Sergio with. It would be amazing. <laughs> I, I think they both would. They like both the, the yes. build up would be like there's like maybe Tommy Fury, but there's very few boxers that would uh talk the way Sergio could talk in a build up for a fight like that. He would run his mouth daily on oh, every yeah. social yeah. media and channel. Sergio's Sergio's training camp would be incredible he'd smoke cigars <laughs> before and after training sessions he would um you know just be S- the typical Sergio gambling and smoking <laughs> cigars drinking beer would Dean Campos take him back <sighs> <laughs> I don't know about that <laughs> No, Dean would always. Might be a check in it. Yeah, Dean, <laughs> Dean would definitely be in the corner only because he's concerned that Sergio would be taken out of the ring in a freaking <laughs> stretcher if he wasn't there in in Sergio's corner. So yes, Dean would definitely be there. Well, hopefully we're not going to that fight anytime soon. <laughs> uh, Sinisa Estrada back this Saturday defending her 105 pound titles. Uh, welcome back and thanks for joining me. Thank you. I am now your highest rated Mexican guest over Sergio. Sorry, Sergio. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Kevin Ioli and Sinisa Estrada for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And we'll see you next week. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX, now playing, and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.